On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. If we we set ourselves up and, and give ourselves a chance at the back end to use the power that, that we have, you know, we see guys like Mitch Marsh and 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 stoyness if if they get the ball out of the middle of the bat it, it generally travels so you know it's about trying to to have those wickets in hand to, to to use the power at the end and we just haven't been able to get ourselves in those positions enough over probably the last eight um 12 to 18 months so just playing smarter cricket and executing our skills a lot better is um you know a good place to start now i think it's just them looking at the england team and, and seeing how well they're playing at the moment and they're obviously playing the new brand of one day cricket which is go as hard as you can for 15 or 16 overs chill out for 10 but that's still going at six or seven or over like there's no sort of chill out time for them where i think at the australian one day team i suppose over a period of time is that our chill out time has been four and a half to five and over of just making sure we can serve wickets and i think these days you probably can't afford to do it it's just you've got to, got to be a little bit tougher you've got to be a little bit uh, more boundary conscious of just making sure that you're still looking for the boundary and um, not getting so single focused. Hello everyone and welcome to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. I'm your host Andrew Menzel aka Menas and there is a feast of cricket news to get through this week. There's been a one day crisis, there's been a test squad announced and there's been a T20 squad announced and then I've got a great interview with Dan Christian from the Hobart Hurricanes but on the line now to go through all the big cricket news is the chief cricket writer for News Corp, Ben Horn. How are you Ben? Very well, thanks, man. It's nice to join you again. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. You know, one of the real highlights for this summer for me so far was seeing Lloyd Pope destroy England in the Under-19 World Cup. I turned it on and went, oh my God, England are going to do us in the Under-19 World Cup as well. And then he turns on this spell of 8 for 35. The headlines have already been written. Where's, is this the next Shane Warne? Yeah, it was a pretty remarkable performance, wasn't it? Defending 127 and England had made it to, to 47 without losing a wicket. So it's pretty stunning stuff. He's He's got a big future ahead of him. I'm, I'm interested to see now whether he comes back to South Australia and gets a game for the first Shield match, which is on February 8th, because um, at that time, Adam Zampel will be with the T20 squad. So... I'm not sure how they're going to play it with his development coming through, but who knows, maybe that might be a chance to, to give Lloyd Pope a go in uh, in first-class cricket. Yeah, and it's just so exciting to have a leg spinner, you know, on the horizon perhaps. You've got Mason Crane for England, Pope and Swepson. You know, they just bring an element to the game that, I don't know, that other bowlers don't bring. It's the mystery, the variety, I guess, memories of Warney. It all comes together for a great package and something everyone wants to see. I agree. I mean, Mason Crane, you know, his figures say that he, he was terrible at the SCG, but, um, you know, I thought for large parts he was very exciting. I mean, he, there was always something happening around his bowling. He created a few things where on another day he would have got lucky. So I agree. Australia's been 
crying. I mean, we're very happy with Nathan Lyon, obviously, but Australia's been crying out for a leg spinner for, for years and years, and um, it, it just does bring another element to it. And I think you're right. I think it is a lot of it is just that the mystique that was created by Shane Warne and continued by Stuart McGill. And, um, you know, it's been so long now. Hopefully, Lloyd Pope can come through in a few years' time. Yeah, I'm hoping to catch up with McGiller for a podcast next week so I can ask him about it. So we started the show. I played the audio of Steve Smith talking after the loss in the third one-day international versus England. He talked about them having wickets in hand to use their power. But also after that, I played the audio of Glenn Maxwell saying that having wickets in hand might be a bit of a conservative element uh, to the way you approach uh, 50 over cricket you know they've launched a review into the 50 over game it is a, a real crisis time for the 50 over team isn't it yeah I mean I guess I guess it is uh, it, it might be a little bit too early for crisis just given it's still um, more than 12 months out from the World Cup they do have time to get it right but it is alarming that three years on from the last World Cup and Australia's essentially gone backwards in in the format that they're the reigning world champion champions in. So, yeah, it, it's a massive cause for alarm. But the good news is there is still time to fix it. But uh, they're going to have to start making some correct decisions because both on the field and off the field, uh, Australia's basically just been missing the beat for the last 12 months at least, probably even longer. So, I mean, I can't believe how many players the one-day side's gone through the last couple of years. And I reckon the only player that they've really unearthed since the last World Cup is Marcus Stoinis. So other than that, I, I think we've basically been going around in circles. Yeah, and I think as well the team has lost a bit of its aura, its mystique. So other teams feel that they can really get it, the Aussie 50-over team, and it snowballs into this thing where we're losing a lot more games than we're winning. Uh, it's interesting, though, Smith yeah. was talking about having wickets in hand and using wickets in hand to let your power really take advantage of the last overs. But I don't know if that's the way 50-over cricket is going anymore because even in that third one day that Australia fell short in the chase, I mean, we had loads of wickets in the hand, but we still were you know 20 runs short at the end. You know, maybe in this modern age of cricket, you're better off sort of doing what England does and going harder uh, for longer and st- going harder earlier and just playing a more of an all-round power game than sort of a more conservative hold wickets in hand and launch at the end. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think, um, you know, it's sort of, it's not, it's almost unacceptable, isn't it, to lose a match with still four or five wickets in hand. I mean, you you know, if you if you go down like Australia did in Sydney, you kind of want to be nine out or bowled out. You know, you just can't leave anything in the tank. So they've they've been getting it wrong. I think, you know, there's a couple of things with the Australian side that has probably conspired. Uh, you know, the, the number four spot for me is still the key position that hasn't been filled since uh, the last World Cup. We had Michael Clark and George Bailey at the last World Cup who were both very, very capable in that position and they've both moved on. For the last match, we saw Steve Smith move to four, which I think is the way to go. Uh, they need someone at three who can probably push things along a bit more and, and the person at four, you, you you want like England's Joe Root, someone who can just play normal cricket and uh, basically be the anchor through the inning. So I think Australia's realised that, but they need to go back to that formula rather than trying to manufacture someone at number four. 
And the other part is, as you mentioned, the power game. And unfortunately, James Faulkner, who was, you know, when Australia won the last World Cup, was arguably the best one-day player in the world at that time. He's really dropped off. He's got bad knee and, and just hasn't been able to, to uh, play at international standards since then. And we've had Glenn Maxwell, who's, you know, gone probably in and out of form a bit and in and out of favour with the selectors. So two of those, like, real X-factor players that, gave Australia the edge over other teams four years ago, you know, one of them is no longer playing and the other one hasn't been picked. So, it, yeah, I think that's been difficult to overcome. As good as Mitchell Marsh and Marcus Stoinis are, and they they are, they, they should both be in the team, they don't necessarily have that extra layer of, of dynamic, dazzling, match-changing stuff that, that Faulkner and Maxwell had. So... Australia's got to find a way of getting those players back, I think. Yeah, let's start with, um, well, I, I, like if, I don't think Faulkner's coming back. I mean, the way he's playing in the Big Bash, he just looks a completely different cricketer. And I heard, I think... Well, he's, his knee's gone. He's basically on one leg. And, uh, yeah, it's a sad story. I mean, he was, I, I would I would be prepared to say, the best all-round one-day player in the game at that time. He was a crucial, crucial player for Australia, both in the lead-up to that World Cup and then in the World Cup itself. He was man of the match in the final. Yeah, so it's a sad story that his career's come to such an abrupt halt, but I agree, I think his time's done. So let's a couple of things there to unpack. Firstly, I think Smith's position in the batting order is crucial. We've never really found the right spot for him yet, whether it's three or four. I actually have a radical suggestion that he and Warner should open the batting and, you know, Finch comes in at three, that's fine, but I would let Smith and Warner open and give Smith a chance with the field up to get away. I know it's a bit left field. The other thing is about the power game. Until the 40th over, you're only allowed four fielders outside of the circle. So you really do want some dynamic players at the top of the order that can take advantage of that. So how they get that in there, maybe Maxwell, he comes back into the side at the top of the order at three or four, might be a way of doing that. What do you think about Smith opening? Yeah, I mean, I I don't hate it, but I guess... um at the moment, Aaron Finch is actually the only player in the side who's actually scoring runs. So he's, they've tried to they've tried to phase Finch out a couple of times now. I mean, he he wasn't in their first choice side for the last World Twenty Twenty, but he Australia has not come up with a better option, and, and Finch just keeps producing and keeps uh, keeps you know scoring runs. So it's a tough one. I mean, I think Finch and Warner, when they get it right, are a very good combination. It's just a matter of getting him clicking at the one time, I guess. But I, I personally like Smith at four. I think that that's the perfect spot for him. And I think, you know, he, he's been a little bit out of sorts in this series, perhaps because, you know, maybe unlike other players, he, he perhaps struggles a bit more with changing formats because there's few players in test cricket these days who can soak up time like Steve Smith can. So perhaps, you know, with an extended run in, in one-day cricket, which he will get in the lead-up to the next World Cup, you know, perhaps he can he can get his rhythm right. So I, I like Smith at four. I reckon at three, I think they're looking for Chris Lynn to come through. I reckon he's the man they want, but whether or not his body's up to up to it is, is the big question. And if it's not, I'd be... Uh, I'd have, I'd, well, I'd have a look at Mitch Marsh at three. I reckon Mitch Marsh might work there. And um, I still like Maxwell down at, at five or six. 
Yeah, you mentioned Mitch Marsh. I think the one very positive thing to come out of one-day cricket in the last 12 months to two years has been Mitch Marsh and Marcus Stoinis really nailing down their spots. They've both scored runs in tough situations on more than one occasion. They're both pretty handy bowlers. So I think we've got really two strong all-rounders to, to base the team around for next year's World Cup. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, Mitch Marsh was in the squad for the last World Cup, but he's come on in leaps and bounds. And Stoinis, I, I, reckon, I maintain, and this is a bit of an indictment on the whole the whole setup and the whole way we've approached one-day cricket in the last four years, but Stoinis is the only fine since then. Um, but he's been outstanding, especially batting-wise. I'm not sure he had as much with the ball as you know James Faulkner did. He definitely doesn't. But, but batting-wise, he's a nice man under pressure, and um, you know that's what you need. So... He's uh, he's been excellent, and I can't see why uh, you know why he can't be a key figure at the next World Cup. Yeah, just something that I want to point out to the listeners about Australia's three 0 loss in this series. You have to give the select selectors some grace, I guess. That Australia have lost the the whole second string one day international bowling lineup. So you know, Jason Beredorf, Coulter Nile, Pattinson, John Hastings. They're probably four bowlers you would think would be just under our top three quicks of Stark, Cummins and Hazelwood in the one-day game, yet for various reasons, injuries and retirement, they were all gone. So the, the second-string bowling attack for the one-day side is sort of underdone and un, in, inexperienced. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I think the selectors have made bad calls on other fronts. For example, Glenn Maxwell not being picked this uh, this series, but certainly with the bowlers, I mean, that's been an ongoing problem for a while now that there is, just isn't any depth under, underneath the top three. Um, went to South Africa uh, probably, uh, when was that, 18 months ago now, and got beaten 5-0 with the likes of uh, Scott Boland and Chris Tremaine there. So it, it's been a problem for some time now that they I mean, it's not that the bowlers aren't there, because as you mentioned, Coulton Island and Pattinson are extremely capable, but they just spend so much time on the sidelines that, that that is a concern. I mean, they're, they're hoping that this um, this kid, Joe Richardson, comes through. He made an OK start in his first game. But the reliance on um, on Cummins, Hazelwood and Stark is not really sustainable because in a tournament like a World Cup, you need, you need some extra guys. Yeah, look, I can't wait for next year's 50-over World Cup in England. It's a 10-team tournament, a round-robin comp. Everyone plays each other once. The top four go through to the semis, so there'll be no hiding. There'll be no easy games. It will be an intense comp, and that is really where this side is going. Are you looking forward to it? Um, I guess so. I mean, <laughs> I really, uh, I'm really not enjoying one-day cricket at the moment. I, I did enjoy the last World Cup. I think the World Cup's the only time when we kind of see 50-over cricket where the stakes are high enough to make it interesting, but I struggle to watch 50-over cricket uh, these days. So, yeah, I'm sort of struggling with the format at the moment, but the World Cup always brings the best out in it, so um, it'll, it'll be good, yeah. Nice one. All right, we're going to take a quick break. I'm going to play now some audio from the press conference where Trevor Holmes was speaking about Chad Sayers being omitted from Australia's test squad to South Africa, and then Ben and I will be back to go through that squad. Yeah, definitely. There's no no doubt about that. Chad is a, uh, performing well, as he always does, but with Jackson Bird there, he, he certainly has the jump on Chad at the moment. There's no doubt about that. We, we have him. Josh Hazelwood is a well-renowned seam bowler, and then we have 
have a good pace of Stark, Cummins, and as I've just suggested, Jai Richardson. So we think it's a pretty well-balanced pace attack. Welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered. That was a chairman of selectors, Trevor Hones, talking about Sayers missing out on the test squad. I was there with you, Ben. I heard all the reasons that Trevor Hones gave for picking Jai Richardson over Chad Sayers, that you know he's faster and he's, Richardson's there as a backup for... Uh, Cummins and Stark and Bird's the backup for Hazelwood, so there is really no spot for Sayers or role for Sayers. But in some ways, I think this displays that everything that is wrong with some of our current selections. So why don't you just pick the five best fast bowlers? The Test Squad shouldn't be a development project. When you go on a tour, you shouldn't omit someone just to give someone else experience. And if Sayers isn't picked then why do we play the Sheffield Shield? If someone goes out and consistently destroys these state attacks, why are they playing it if they're not going to look at someone that's done so well? Thoughts? Yeah, I don't really agree, actually. I mean, I think that the argument is more, should Chad Sayers get picked ahead of Jackson Bird? I mean, I actually see the sense in having a squad with, with bowlers who are a bit different. I mean, let's be honest, they're not they're not going to play Jackson Bird and Chad Sayers at the same time, I think that they are a similar kind of bowler. And yes, it's you could easily argue that Chad Sayers should be there over Jackson Bird, but he can't fulfil that role of bowling 145 kilometres an hour, which is what Australia will be looking for if Stark or Cummins gets injured. So I can sort of see why they don't want to take two backup bowlers that are very, very similar. They want to take someone who's different. So, I mean, in the past, I think they probably have been guilty of taking guys on tours who are development players, but I actually don't see Joe Richardson as a development player at all. I mean, he's he's probably too raw to be playing test cricket, but that's just a reflection of there not being much else in the uh, in the cupboard. I mean, as you touched on already, Pattinson and Kultanile are injured. They would have been ahead of him. Uh, there's not many other express bowlers in the country. So, it's not ideal that a 21-year-old with five games experience is a, uh, an injury away from a, a test debut, but I just think that's the reality of, of where they're at. He is the, the best choice to fulfil that role. So I've got no issue with, with the selection, to be honest. I I think it's a valid argument if you wanted to say Chad Say should be there ahead of Bird. But aside from a, a shocker in Melbourne on a pretty ordinary wicket, Bird's got a pretty solid test career. So as, as tough as it is on Chad Sayers, I don't really have a major problem with it. Well, perhaps Joe Richardson could do something like Pat Cummins did all those years ago when he was taken over there as an 18-year-old. But I will say that despite what you say, if Stark and Cummins were to go down on this tour, say after two tests, and I look in the third test bowling lineup is Hazelwood, Bird, Jai Richardson, I, I just think that's that's really short. And I'd prefer someone with Chad Sayers' experience there. And see what he can mm. do on those wickets. You know, he's he's promised a lot. This is maybe w- would have been his chance to at least show what he could do in different conditions, especially with an eye to England next year. So, sort of just sticks with this theory of you need you need some bowlers with pace at Test level, but I'm just not sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a great point that Chad Sayers um, could have been very well suited. And I mean, we saw how well. Vernon Philander bowled last night and what an outstanding record he's got in South Africa. But it comes down to the conditions. I mean, they the selectors obviously think that Jackson Bird is very good and he is, when the ball is swinging and ball moving. So, look, it's a tough one. I mean, they I guess they've had a bit of a look at Chad Sayers the last couple of years when he's been in and around camp. Um, maybe there's something that they don't like. The send-off sure. to Smith. I mean, 
he, he's got a very good shield record, but we're yet to see him at test level, so it's 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 hard to say. He, he's very unlucky. I mean, my understanding is uh, last summer he was um, they prepared to give him his baggy green at the Gabba. He was going to play, and then there was a last second decision to to get Nathan Lyon in. So it's incredibly tough on a, on a kid who was literally probably an hour away from getting a baggy green only to 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 not get it so it's i can see his frustration i can see the frustration of of all the people that have followed his outstanding uh record in shield cricket but in terms of the i mean you're always going to have debates over which player is better but you're back in the selectors i i just i I don't what i'm backing is the logic of of how they've picked the squad I, i i can see the sense in why they've wanted to balance it out with different different types of bowlers because unless there is an injury, Stark Hazelwood Cummins will play all five, all four tests without a question asked. So we're talking about two guys who are dead set backups. They're not going to play unless there's an injury. Um, and, in, and in that circumstance, I can see why they want a bit of balance. Yeah, I heard Brett Jeeves talking earlier this week. And um, apart from saying he's sick of cricket and he's not watching anymore, he also said that Chad Sayers got a text message that test match you're talking about from, I think, Steve Waugh saying, I think he said, Steve, well, congratulations, welcome to the, the club of test cricketers, and then was told not long after that they'd changed their mind. So, look, that's a tough one on him. Uh, the, next one mm. in, the next one in the squad is Cameron Bancroft. So he's been backed as their opener, which I can see some merit in that. You know, you can't chop and change openers all the time. I think at some point these selectors have to decide who they think is Warner's partner and, and give him a go. So they obviously think it's Bancroft, but my problem is that there's no real cover for Bancroft if he has mm. a stinker in the first two tests. I'll, I'll put it out there: Sean Marsh cannot open the batting in Test level. He's done so well at number five and six. You really would be upsetting the apple cart if you pushed him up the order to face the new ball. So, which would mean Kawaja would go up to open. So they don't have a backup, and if after two tests something goes wrong, they're going to have to completely restructure the order. Yeah, that's my major concern with this squad. I I wasn't so worried about the bowling side of things, but uh, I'm surprised that they don't have a bit more cover for the top of the order. Uh, I believe Joe Burns would have gone very, very close to making the squad, if not already penciled in until his injury struck. So that's been a huge blow, his injury, because he could have seamlessly come in as a guy that could, could cover all five, all six positions in the batting order without necessarily scaring the hell out of Cameron Bancroft as you know uh, as uh, as just sort of waiting there for his spot so I think that that's been a huge blow but I am surprised I think that that's the area where they're a bit thin John Holland is essentially there in case Nathan Lyon breaks a finger and in a, for a guy who's I don't think ever missed a test match through injury um, John Holland's essentially no chance of playing so I, I would have probably used that that position, if you can only take 15, I would have used that 15th spot to put someone in who could have provided a bit more cover for the top of the order. I suppose with Joe Byrne down, the problem was not many options. So uh, Matt Renshaw may have been the only option. But even then, he's a guy who showed a lot of a lot of promise over the first year of his career. Yes, he hasn't scored any runs to, to necessarily demand his spot back, but I, I probably would have given that last spot to a batsman whether it be Renshaw, maybe Maxwell, maybe Stoinis, someone who could have just provided a little bit more in the, in the batting department because we're going to South Africa, Ashes winners, but with two batsmen, Bancroft and Hanscom, who, who really struggled during the last series. So 
I see a bit of a vulnerability there against a very good bowling attack. Yeah, there is something, though, that the selectors have been doing recently, that these touring squads are very malleable, that, you know, say Matt Renshaw were to play a couple of Shield games and score some runs, you, you could see him being flown over to South Africa. It's not unprecedented. Last year in India, Jackson Bird was in the squad as, as quick, and Pat Cummins was here stayed in Australia basically to get some bowling at shield level to see if he could play. And he he could play, and they flew him over and he played the last two tests of that series. So I guess maybe that's what they're looking at. Yeah, they could. They could very easily do that. Um, I guess it's harder to do that uh, for form rather than injury. I mean, it's very common for players to be called in if there's an injury concern or something like that. But in terms of um, just bringing someone over because someone's not going that well in the first couple of tests, that would be... That'd be a big call. Like uh, so, well, I just think it's a tough one. It's a it's a balancing act between wanting to make uh, Bancroft feel as though he's being backed in, but also just the common sense of having some backup. I mean, they've seen him through five Test matches. I've got no issue with him being given the the right to start in South Africa. He, he deserves it. But to send him over there without um you know without any plan B, I find a little bit um a little bit concerning, and yeah, I would have personally taken an extra batsman. Yeah, I agree with you on that one. The one thing I will say about John Holland's selection is I think that they need a backup spinner on tour. I know it's very unlikely, but say the morning of a match or the night before a match, Nathan Lyon stands on a ball like a la Glenn McGrath or does something at training, you want someone on the ground, acclimatise, who could come in and hold up an end like Lyon has, keep the runs down and let the quick steam in at the other end like they've done this summer. Yeah, oh, well, that, that makes perfect sense. It's entirely logical to do that. But if I was breaking down, what's the bigger chance of happening? A batsman falling out of form or getting injured or Nathan Lyon getting injured, uh, I reckon that there's far more chance of of, uh, of the of the former happening, so if it came down to only being able to give that spot to one person, I've gone Bassman. But I, I can see why um, why like you know you need a spinner over there, and, and Nathan Lyons um, invaluable. So I can see that, but I hope uh, John Holland's packed his playing cards because I can't remember a guy going on tour in recent times who's less chance of playing a test. Um, well, you know he's going to play three tests now that you've said that. Lyon's going to do something. <laughs> well, look, I'm thrilled for John Holland that he's going over. I think it's well-deserved. He's a real one of the real battlers in Australian cricket. You know, he was thrown into that Sri Lanka series two years ago with no preparation. So at least he deserves a little bit more of a chance and to be part of the touring party. As far as Jai Richardson, you know, as much as I said Sayers perhaps should be there, Jai Richardson is a very exciting character. And when he spoke the other day about his selection, he's actually got a fair bit of personality for a cricketer. So he's going to be interesting. He's got a bit of pep about him. Uh, So can't wait to see him go over there with the Aussie boys and get that experience. Now, we're going to take a quick break, but you asked him about his size. He's very small for a fast bowler. I mean, if the listeners might not know this, but I'm not that tall. So whenever I usually meet a fast bowler, and Ben, you're about the same height, you know, they usually tower over you. Whereas I met Joe Richardson, and I was almost looking at him eye to eye. So look, you've asked, let's hear what he had to say when you asked him about his size and fast bowling. Um, you know, I'm, I'm only... 70 odd kilos or 75 kilos and, and 178 centimetres tall so I'm not, not the biggest unit around but it's, it's always something in the head you know you always want to prove people wrong um, and I think that's been my attitude from the start is, is you know if someone's going to beat me down why not prove them wrong 
Are you pretty excited about getting back into the Aussie side and playing in the T20s? Yeah, I am. I'm really looking forward to pulling on that Australian shirt again and uh, being able to represent my country. It's, it's always a huge honour when you get the opportunity to represent your country in whatever format, so I'm really looking forward to the opportunity. I've, I've probably grown a little bit more as a cricketer, I suppose, having been through those sorts of situations in the past and probably haven't done it as well, but having good shield form coming into the BBL probably helped me and uh, having good confidence in my strokes and yeah, doing the right things off the field as well. But obviously, you know, you're such a big part of the 2015 World Cup win. Must be a big driving force to get back there for the defence. Yeah, it is. Uh, but as I said, I, I'm, I can't think that far ahead. As soon as you start thinking that far ahead, you start losing focus of what's actually, the ball actually coming down to you. And, I've been really good this summer about keeping in my bubble and making sure that I'm concentrating on that ball coming down and hopefully that continues to bring success for me. I feel like I've been hitting the balls really well and really smartly, so hopefully that continues. You're listening to Cricket Unfiltered. That was the young quick Jai Richardson and that was Glenn Maxwell talking about his career best form. Uh, wow, that Richardson's a funny guy, isn't he, for a fast bowler? Yeah, I mean, um, I felt a bit guilty uh, asking about being short when he's still at least 10 centimetres taller than me. But, um, but yeah, it, it did it did strike me when he walked into the room just <laughs> that, um, it, yeah, if you were passing him on the street, you probably wouldn't even even turn around. But I, I just think it's amazing. Like, he's able to generate that 145-kilometre pace uh, with that build. So That's it says slight. something about his technique and, and all that kind of thing. So, yeah, he, he had a, you know, yeah, could be happy to see more of him in Australian cricket because you need those personalities and those guys who have a, have a bit of colour about him, so I think he'll be he'll be good. It was interesting. Maxwell said there that he's now just focused on every game and not on higher honours. And you know, I spoke to Trent Copeland last week, and he said the same thing that the best way to get results as a player is just focus on every game. I think Maxwell's kind of shifted a bit. I think he used to really aspire to the higher honours, and that was obviously he still does, but he's kind of put that to the back of his mind now and just focused on on every game, which is a great thing because they've announced the Australian T20 squad for an upcoming tri-series against New Zealand and England, and Maxwell's been included in that squad, as as well as basically anyone who's not in the test squad, plus David Warner. How did you see that T20 squad? I think it's a pretty strong-looking team, actually. I mean, it's like they're obviously missing some players that would be automatic selections, like uh, Mitchell Stark, Pat Cummins. Smith. Probably Steve Smith. So it's, it, but it's still a strong side. I really like the inclusion of you know just backing these guys in the BBL who have done well. I mean, it'll be great to see Darcy Short on the international stage and see how he goes. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, Alex Carey will be a good one. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Alex Carey should probably be in the one day team um, as well. So maybe this will be a stepping stone to to get to that level. And yeah, I think it's a good team. Glenn Maxwell had to be back. I really, you know, the the problem I had with the Glenn Maxwell treatment for this one-day series is, yes, if you look in isolation at his one-day form, it hasn't been flashed. Perhaps in in other circumstances, it would be time to to send him a bit of a message. But the message is being sent to him at a time when he's the leading Shield run scorer. He's been, had a decent BBL season. Why would you send a message like that to someone who's actually in form and delivering and yes it's a different format but Glenn Maxwell's been around long enough and knows white ball cricket well enough that you know I don't I don't think that really matters I mean he's in form he's doing what's being asked of him from what I could tell every single thing he said in the media this summer has been very respectful of the, the situation that he's in and, and 
and just sort of taking what's what's given to him. So I, I found it a bizarre way to basically um, to, to give him a kick, and I, I reckon it's been a complete failure. I mean, obviously Cameron White's got a couple more games to see how he goes, but the series has already been lost, and they've gone back to a 34-year-old player who, for the last four or five years, they have not picked. I mean, they picked a kid from, uh, his name might come to him. Sammy Heasley. Yeah, they picked Sam Heaslett from Queensland who hadn't played a domestic game to go on tour because they didn't want to pick Cam White. So, yes, Cam White's an excellent domestic player, but they had made their mind up that they didn't want him in the Australian side, and I'm at a complete loss to understand why uh, they've changed their their tune on that. If you're not going to pick Maxwell, surely you go for someone like Ashton Turner or Darcy Short or a young kid who... You can see how they go. So I could be proven wrong by Cameron White in the last couple of games, but I reckon that the the dropping of Glenn Maxwell was was a disaster and, you know, they completely botched it. I think it comes down to personality, that sometimes if your personality is a little bit different and you're a little bit out there, that whether that affects the team environment or the coach or the captain... But, yeah, I just think some somehow Maxwell's got on the wrong side of someone. Interestingly, the most upset Maxwell got was when I suggested to him that Kevin Peterson was a better golfer, and he got very upset at that thought. So he's <laughs> got a bit of, Anyway, so let's get back to the T20 squad. A couple of things about it. Mark, David Warner's the captain. That means he will have no preparation for the Test Series against South Africa. Alan Border said that it's probably not the best thing to do. He would have preferred David Warner to go over and prepare for the Test Series and that there's really no need for him to play these T20 games. What do you think of AB's comments? Oh, I mean, I think, yeah, in an ideal world, he's right. But you can't blame the selectors for this one. This is uh, Cricket Australia's fault. And, um, and, you know, the international scheduling, I mean, they put these teams in impossible situations and you know Australia need to, to treat the T20 ser- seriously like they've never won a T20 World Cup they're languishing in about sixth or seventh position I think on the on the ranking so they have to take it seriously but at the same time they need to prepare for South Africa it's an impossible situation to be and I actually think they've come up with a pretty sensible compromise I mean the rest of the squad will stay in South Africa and I don't think there's a player in Australia who can adapt from different formats as well as Dave Warner. Mm. So I think I think it's a smart decision. The, the thing that interests me most about it is that um, you know I'm interested to see whether this is potentially a uh, a bit of a preview to David Warner maybe taking over the T20 captaincy at some point because we've seen what a huge toll uh, playing all three formats or captaining all three formats has had on Steve Smith the last couple of years because he hasn't played a T20 since the last World Cup in 2016. So it's just a it's a ridiculous schedule for players to have to have to meet. And, you know, Ricky Ponting, who's now becoming heavily involved in the T20 set-up for Australia, he said in the past that, you know, Steve Smith should give up one of the formats for, for captaincy. It's just he doesn't need that amount of responsibility. So at the moment, Cricket Australia's got no indication that they're looking down that path. But... They must be because England split the captaincy. Owen Morgan's the short form captain. Joe Root's the test captain. Australia's looking at, at having splitting the coaching roles. They've already split the selector roles for T20. It, it's pretty clear that in terms of the schedule and in terms of just what a different game T20 cricket is, that perhaps it does need a bit of that uh, that that specific focus. So 
yeah, I'm interested to see whether you know Australia, you know, over the next year or two, start to think down those lines. Yeah, again, they'd be building up for the 2020 T20 World Cup in Australia. I guess Smith would really want to be the captain on home soil for that tournament. I just saw Smith at the end of that third one-day international against England at the SCG, and it did strike me how wearing this and, and draining this season would have been for him as skipper with all the pressure, scoring all those runs. To me, he looked like someone that needed a break and go and watch some tennis, which he did do. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, it's. I guess it depends what frame you're given the job. I mean, Steve Smith has given the, the job of all three formats because that's how Australian cricket set up. Joe Root was given the job of Test cricket captain because England set up differently. Owen Morgan's been the captain of that team for for quite a while, the one day team, and I, I think Joe Root loves it. I mean, I think he loves coming to the one-day format and being able to just sort of slip into the background and, and be one of the players. I mean, it's a tough it's a tough model to pull off because it's difficult to have a captain who's perhaps not, uh, how do you say, like not at the same level as, as the test captain who comes in and plays underneath him. I mean, mm. I think that's possibly an issue they had when Aaron Finch was, was doing the job. As good a player as Aaron Finch is, He's not as good as Dave Warner and Steve Smith, so that that was always a challenge when when suddenly he was their skipper. But I think when you've got a situation where you've got Warner and Smith both at the top at the top of their games, I think it's a it's a system that can be pulled off. And I mean, the simple fact is, however you do, however you cut it and however you manage it, Steve Smith needs breaks at certain points; otherwise, he'll burn out. So uh, I guess there's different ways of, of managing it, but but the bottom line is. Steve Smith needs to be freshened up for the sake of uh, Australian cricket. I agree. Now, just last thing on this T20 squad picked by the selectors. Uh, one surprise for me was Ben Dwarshus picked from the Sydney Sixers. Left arm quick. Never, ever struck me as an international player. But Mark War's reasoning was that they want the left arm variety. Interesting, someone like Peter Siddle, who's tearing it up at the big bash level, wasn't picked because he's a right arm bowler. So... I mean, we'll see how that plays out. Mark Warne knows T20 cricket as well as anyone, so maybe that variety is important in T20 cricket. Uh, do you think so? Um, I think the variety is important, yeah, and I guess they don't have, um, they don't have many left-armers around. You, you mentioned about Berendorf and Starks in, in South Africa, so they're probably a bit short on options there. I, I don't know much about Darshus, to be honest. I, I, I haven't seen a whole lot of the Big Bash this year, so I couldn't really say. But, um, but yeah, I, I think the variety... Variety is important when you've, um, you know, when you've got to sort of change things up so much over the course of twenty overs. Yeah, my favourite saying last year was "Dwarshus makes me nauseous," but he's been bowling a bit better this summer for the Sixers, so I'm not so nauseous. Okay, last thing, I'm going to put to you something uh, that Australia are going to be playing against New Zealand and England in this tri series T20 stuff. I just think we're going to get spanked. I'm not sure. I mean, I do actually like the look of the side. I mean, I think um, I think they've picked a pretty pretty intelligent team based on how England's going in in the one day format. I think they have to start the favourites, but and New Zealand's done okay in the yeah, best T20 side in the world at the moment. Yeah, yeah, they made the semis of the last World Cup, so we'll see. I mean, I think there's enough talent in the Australian side to get a couple of wins. Again, it's probably the bowling, isn't it, that um, that looks a bit weak with. Stark and Cummins, Coulter Nile, all these players unavailable. Yeah, we might be 0-4 at the end of that tournament, in which case the headline white ball crisis can be thrown on the headlines. 
<laughs> all right, Benny. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast to talk about all the cricket news. Have a good time relaxing and watching the cricket, and hopefully we can catch up again soon. Thanks, man. It's appreciate it, mate. Always great to have one of the most insightful and knowledgeable cricket writers on the podcast, Ben Horn, of course, from News Corp. Now, remember, listeners, if you can please rate and review the podcast on the app that you choose to listen to us on. If it's Apple Podcasts, please just press the star button and give us a rating. And if you want to send any emails in with questions or uh, topics you want discussed, as I said, I should be catching up with Stuart McGill next week. So you can email in at Pod. that's A-U-S cricketpod at gmail.com. You can find all of Ben Horn's cricket articles at thedailytelegraph.com.au slash cricket. And you can also find my weekly column at, at the same place. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then I'll be back with a player that won two T20 titles last year, Dan Christian. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Cricket Unfiltered, the News Corp cricket podcast. I'm now very happy to have on the line one of the absolute stars of T20 cricket. He won two titles last year, the CPL and the NatWest T20 Blast, and he's now playing for the Hobart Hurricanes. How are you, Dan Christian? Good, Andrew. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. I guess let's start with the Hurricanes' big bash season. You know, you're locked in a, a battle for the top four spot. How, how's the season been so far, and what's the mood like around the group? Our mood's really positive. I think um, we've been playing decent cricket without without being great. We we yet to sort of put that perfect game together, which is um, still really exciting for us. I think leading into the last round, and then hopefully into the finals. Yeah, and um, you know, you're playing the Stars in the next game. You know, is there some kind of, is it like a banana skin playing a team that's sort of already out of the comp with nothing to lose? Yeah, particularly with the, the uh, calibre of player they've got in their 11. So they're, um, it's going to be a really difficult game. Obviously, they um, haven't done as well as they would have liked this year. But any team that's got you know, guys like Maxwell, Peterson, James Faulkner, Pete Hanscom, those kind of guys, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be really difficult. So, um, yeah, we'll, we'll certainly have to be on our games. Um, hopefully, we can get over the line. Yeah, now you um, play for Victoria in the Sheffield Shield. So obviously when you come up against the Melbourne Big Bash teams, you, you play them, you're playing against players that you play with a lot. How is that? Yeah, it's good fun. We always, um, same as when you play against the Renegades and Stars as well, you, there's always a bit of banter there. and um, You always have a good chat before the game and then after the game. and yeah, it's, a, it's a nice challenge. It's just, a, I suppose, it's, you're used to bowling and, and batting against them in, in the nets all the time and, and seeing them at training all the time. So we know each other's games inside out and um, just becomes... Just becomes that challenger. Who can do better on the day? Yeah, and what's it like going the other way? Going from the Victorian setup, and and then playing for the Hurricanes over the Big Bash with a lot of, you know, Tasmanian players. How, how's that cha- transition? Uh, it's just something I'm used to, I suppose. I've you know, been you know, going over and playing in England, over in the CPL this year as well, uh, and a little bit of IPL too. You, you just get used to going into into new environments. And I've, I've been I've been in the Hurricanes now since so my third year at the Hurricanes. So, um, and I've played with played with and against a lot of those guys in the past anyway so there's a pretty um it's a pretty comfortable environment down there for me i've got some good mates down there and yeah it makes it uh, makes it an enjoyable six weeks or so yeah and it's been a really exciting time for the hurricanes you know you got darcy short you know making it into the aussie t20 side and joffrey archer who's come over and sort of lit up the tournament with his thunderbolts how is how is the environment with that sort of excitement yeah it's been it's been really good and we've um you know, obviously those two have 
have won games for us on their own, off their own back. That they, um, yeah, we've still got some guys that are in really good form. We think that that just haven't quite uh, nailed it just yet, or haven't really put that match-winning performance in because I suppose they've been overshadowed by the other guys. So, um, like I said, it's an exciting time leading into the finals. You know, we've got some guys that are that are doing really, really well. George Bailey's you know, averaging seventy odd in the Sheffield Shield, but he hasn't really fired yet in the big bash. Um, only a matter of time before he does, I think. Tamal Mills had a bowled really well against the Scorchers last game. He got one for 25. He's yet to get that really big haul, but he's been really exciting for us as well. So, yeah, we, we feel like we're pretty close. Yeah, and how have you uh, felt about your performances so far in the Big Bash? Uh, a little bit um, sporadic, I suppose. I've, I feel like I've been um, going okay without setting the world on fire. Playing a slightly different role this year to what I normally do. I normally bowl a bit more in the middle where I've ended up um, ended up bowling at the death in, in most of the game, so that's been a challenge, but uh, something I've really enjoyed. And batting-wise, it's been nice to come in and, and be able to slog a few on the back of the you know, Darcy Short going nuts up the front. So it's um, yeah, I've done okay. Just try to fit in, fit in where I can, and, and try and contribute to a few wins. Yeah, and how how do you try and maintain your form in a T Twenty comp? Because you know you might go through days and days where you might might not get an opportunity to bat in the middle. Or how do you try and sort of keep in touch during these tournaments? I oh, just just got to keep your your training as as sort of routine as possible. You know, keep your keep your hitting skills up, keep your defensive skills up, and just yeah, just wait for that wait for that opportunity. Really, I said it's something that I'm that I'm pretty used to. I've played I've played that batting role now for a long time, so. Nothing really changes much there for me. And, yeah, you just, just wait, and, wait until you get that chance and, and hopefully you're able to grab it. Speaking of chances, there's a, a massive auction coming up this weekend. I don't know if you're aware, but the IPL auction's coming up on the weekend. Have you th- thrown your yep. name in the hat? I have thrown my name in, yeah. So um, that'll be that'll be an exciting couple of days. We'll wait and see wait and see how that pans out. But I've, yeah, I've loved my time at the IPL the, the last few years. Yeah, hopefully I'll get another chance. Yeah, I want to take the listeners back to, well, 2011 when you went for $900,000 in the IPL. You managed to sort of get a bidding war going between two clubs. What was that like for you when that process was going on? Because it was sort of new back then. I mean, no no one really knew how the IPL was going to pan out. Yeah, and I, and I was pretty inexperienced at that stage as well. So it was uh, no, certainly a, a shock to the system. It was a bit like winning the lottery, really. Um, yeah, and it, but the only thing that the only thing that comes with those kind of those kind of pay packets is the, the pressure as well, which is something I probably didn't handle that well in that in that first year. So that was a bit disappointing, but um, no, it was it was a fantastic experience and loved every minute of it. Yeah, that's something I've talked about before that you know happens in football codes a lot, where people get signed on these big deals and they have to live up to it. It's now moving across to cricket with these T20 deals where players, even within the big bash, you know, move from one club to another and get a, a big pay rise. I guess that's a big challenge to try and live up to it. It can be, yeah. Um, like I said, I didn't really deal with it that well back then, but I feel I'd be much more equipped to, to deal with it now. I, I know my game better. Uh, know my role in the team better. Uh, yeah, I think it'll just be... Oh, the longer you've longer you've been around, I suppose the, the more easy it is to deal with things like that. Yeah. Now I wanted to just ask you about these two titles you won last year. So you you were captain of Knots to win the NatWest T Twenty Blast. The the most interesting thing to come out of that, apart from the title, was when the person presenting the trophy gave you a whack <laughs> in the eye. Um, yeah. is, is, that, is that standard now when you win a T Twenty comp? The captain gets a black eye. Yeah. Hopefully, hopefully not, because I wouldn't mind winning another one next year. We'd not, so hopefully I don't get another one. But uh, no, the lady was, um, she knew the boys had the champagne ready to go. So uh, 
if she was trying to get she was trying to get off the stage as quick as she possibly could. Uh, she was really apologetic. Sent me an email afterwards, and uh, it was all good. It was all pretty funny though. Got, got some press out there. Tell me, uh, what was it like winning the NatWest T Twenty Blast and the CPL? I mean, I think you won them within almost a, a week of each other. It must have been, I guess, a thrilling time of your life. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a pretty exciting week. Yeah, that the NatWest one was was really special to me. That was um, really loved my time at Knotts for the last couple of years. And, uh, it just felt we've we've been building to that for a while. We've got a really good squad there, and yeah, we've we've been playing some really good cricket leading up to that, and and probably deserved to win the title given the way we've been playing. So yeah, that was that was great, and yeah, topped off a topped off a really good season for Knots. And then the CTL, that was as weird as they come. That was the next morning we were still just about to just about to start celebrating again at Knots. We all just got out of bed, and I got a phone call to say, would I like to come, like to come down to Trinidad and and play the uh, the semi final down there. And fly out the next day, so it was all a um, it was a whirlwind couple of whirlwind couple of days, and like I said, lucky enough to get two two trophies in a week. Yeah, I bet the Trimbago Night Riders know how to party when they win a title. Yeah, that was a uh, <laughs> well, the game didn't finish till about one, well, probably one o'clock at night, and then there was a bit of a concert on at the ground, and and Blaine Bravo, our captain, he was up singing at the concert, and it was yeah, it was all it was, it was pretty uh, pretty special night. It was all pretty uh, all pretty surreal. I guess did. did Bravo would have played the champion song a few times. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. That's exactly what he was singing. All the crowd, all the crowd came out onto the ground, and then he was up on the stage. Yeah, it was it was pretty awesome. Yeah, you know, with all this success in T Twenty cricket, have you ever thought about giving up first class cricket and just concentrating on the short form of the game? I have done, yeah, but um, we've we've also won three Sheffield Shields in a row with Victoria, which I've absolutely loved, and then you know, right up in. Uh, Right up there in terms of achievements in my career, so I'm I'm pretty keen to try and win four in a row. And we're not doing as well as we would have liked so far this year, but we're only one win off second. So at the back end of the back end of the summer, I'm sure we'll get it together and you know, hopefully be challenging again. It'll be great to get four in a row. Yeah, it, it, I think it's time to let another state win. I know you're going to disagree, but um, <laughs> uh, there's been a few draws for Victoria so far in the Shield. So obviously, it's about trying to finish a few teams off in the in the stretch into the final. Yeah, um, and the other well, the other great thing about that is we're not playing at the MCG, as everyone saw in that Test match. It was just a, a flat, you know, horrible, lifeless wicket, and that's what we've had in the Sheffield Shield game so far. So that's why we've had so many draws, unfortunately. But after Christmas, a few away games. Uh, we've got one game at the Junction Oval, and plus the Dukes ball as well should should hopefully um, you know, create a few more results. It tends to do a little bit more than the than the Cookerbara when the um, when the wickets are a bit flatter. Yeah, it'll swing around a bit. Uh, were you at all disappointed that you didn't make the Aussie T20 side for this series against England and New Zealand? I was a little bit disappointed, yeah. Um, having been in the squad against India only you know, three months ago or so, you know, I thought I still would have been around the mark. But uh, that's the way it goes, I suppose. I've just got to keep keep trying to be as consistent as I can and you know, get some runs and get some runs on wickets for Hobart and then and then whoever in the IPL if I get that opportunity and then again for Knots and you know, hopefully that. Australian opportunities still going to be there in the future. And I guess the, the, the T20 World Cup in 2020 in Australia is sort of looms on the horizon as something to sort of aim for. Yeah, that, that's a definite carrot. I'd love to um, I'd love to be a part of that. been lucky enough to be a part of three 2020 World Cups in the past. And, uh, the West Indies, Sri Lanka and Bangladesh. So it'll be great to be great to try and play one at home. Yeah, like I said, if I can be just be as consistent as possible, then you know, hopefully I'll get that opportunity. Well, Dan, I think I better let you go. I'm sure you're heading off to the next game. Thank you so much for chatting on Cricket Unfiltered. It's been fascinating. Good luck with the rest of the season, and uh, hopefully we'll catch up again. No worries. Thanks for having me. Cheers.
Well, listeners, that's it for Cricket Unfiltered. Thanks so much for downloading the show. I've got a special Sixers Women's Big Bash League special episode coming for the weekend, for the long weekend to celebrate the extra day off. So that's on the way. Thanks again for listening to the show, and I'll be back soon.